This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. For almost two decades, the IBM Center for the Business of Government has sought to connect research to practice, engaging authors and academics who, in their research and studies, contribute in some form or fashion to changing the way government does business. What is a grounded leader? What are the roots to effective leadership? And how can you become a conscious leader? I'll explore these questions and so much more with Bob Rosen, author of Grounded, How Leaders Stay Rooted in an Uncertain World. Also joining me from IBM is Nicole Gartner. Bob, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. Nicole, welcome as always. Thank you, Michael. So, Bob, um, would you elaborate on the six disruptor categories that impact leaders today? How can they grapple with these forces? Well, we all live in a disruptive and accelerating world, whether you work in a not-for-profit or you work in government. And the world is changing faster than the ability of people to adapt. And the reason for that is that there are six major disruptors that are affecting everyone. The pace of speed, which is making it difficult for people to balance their lives and to move fast. The impermanence of life, the uncertainty. Uh, People have to thrive in unpredictability where stability is an illusion. The world is becoming more complex. And the challenge is how do you focus and prioritize your work and your life in all that complexity? The fourth one is technology and digitization. And the challenge is how do you operate in a very transparent bubble? And how do you live in a 24-7 wired world? The fifth one is competition. And the challenge is how do you compete and succeed while continuing to do meaningful work? And then the last one is globalization. And the challenge is that we are all connected, money, markets, people, talent, customers around the world, including the federal government. Every agency is, in fact, a global agency. And the challenge is how do we thrive in that environment and operate as one global society on one planet? So those six disruptors are working together. They are positive and they are negative, and they have a huge impact on individuals. So what does it mean uh, to be grounded, and why is being rooted so important in your concept of leadership? Well, if you think of all of these disruptors as winds of change, 
the challenge is not to be blown over. And so I like to use the metaphor of a tree and a tree in a windstorm. And when that wind influences the tree, the branches go all over the place. But what keeps the tree rooted are its roots. It's grounded. It's grounded in the soil. And it's very important for people to stay grounded. Now, there are three responses to all these disruptors. One is to uh, live with what I call too little anxiety. You, you have your head in the sand. You're too complacent. You pretend they don't exist. A second one is that you're overwhelmed in a very chaotic way with a lot of stress from these disruptors. And the third is that you understand them, you anticipate them, and you use them to your personal and organizational advantage. And that's what great leaders do. So, you know, um, you identify six personal dimensions uh, of a grounded leader. Um, I'd like you to just give us a high-level overview of each one. Just identify them, and then I'm going to pass it off to Nicole to kind of delve into each great. one. Okay. Each one represents a response to each of the disruptors. So, the pace of speed is requiring all of us to be more physically rooted. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But you have to be agile. Uh, the second one is our emotional roots. And that is in the face of uh, uncertainty and impermanence. And our emotional roots are how we feel. Our intellectual roots are how we think. And that is a response to how we think and adapt in the face of complexity. Um, our social roots are how we relate and connect to each other. And that is in response to technology and the pace of change and disruption. The fifth one is our vocational roots. We don't talk very much about our vocational roots. And our vocational roots have to do with how do we learn, how do we perform, how do we succeed, and how do we find meaning in our work. And our spiritual roots, and I distinguish it from religion, our spiritual roots are how we interact with the world. What is our view of the world? And this is very important. In fact, it's the greatest predictor to leadership performance, which, which, which we can get into a little later. But all six operate like an interconnected holistic system. So you got to get all of them roughly right to thrive in this disruptive environment. So that's such an interesting and, as you said, holistic model, Bob. Let's talk about the first dimension of grounded leadership, starting with physical health. Um, why is that so important? And which of the – could you say a little bit more about which of the six disruptors it provides protection from at the moment? Physical health provides protection for speed. And so – uh, if you can imagine, there's a lot of disruption right now in business and also in the government. There's a philosophy about draining the swamp in the federal government. There is pressure toward developing all of these transformation plans in each of the agencies. Uh, there's increasing pressure on performance management. And there's a recognition that there's a real gap between the leaders we have and the leaders we need. And so in business and in government, there are stresses. And the challenge is how do you balance your life? How do you manage those stresses? And how do you stay vital and agile? And that's where our physical roots come into play. It's about understanding our body and the connection between our mind and our body. It's about um, having energy and vitality to give your best self to work. And it's also about living a peak performance lifestyle. So all of those are what we deal with in speed. 
I love the way you connect all of those dimensions. Uh, that's uh, so fascinating. Um, let's talk about the next one. Uh, the next one is emotional health and how that's important to being a grounded leader. Can you uh, briefly identify the three roots of emotional sure. health? Emotional health obviously is so important for all of us. We found in our research, we, we've spent 25 years interviewing face-to-face top executives from government and business all around the world in 60 countries. And we found that this is a very, very important route. It starts with being self-aware, really knowing yourself, your strengths and your vulnerabilities and shortcomings. It also means that you spend time, most of your time, in your positive emotions, Positive emotions like faith and hope and optimism and compassion and, yes, love. And that we we all deal with the negative side of our emotions, you know, anxiety and stress and depression and sadness and anger. But we don't want to stay on that side of the continuum too much. So great leaders, good leaders at any level spend most of their time in their positive emotions. And then the last one is the power of resilience. I'm really intrigued by the two Ryans in Congress, Tim Ryan, a congressman from Ohio, and Paul Ryan, who is the Speaker of the House. They both represent the power of emotional health. You can see that as they interact with the world. They're grounded in terms of how they feel. They don't get hijacked so much by all the polarization that goes on up on Capitol Hill. Yeah, you know, so why is um, resilience such an important factor in the success of a leader? And more importantly, how can leaders today develop that resilience? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question. If you think of those wins, it requires that we become more comfortable with being uncomfortable. It requires that we inevitably fall down and get up. It's inevitable that we're going to make more mistakes because we don't have all the answers. And so resilience is the quality that we develop to survive and thrive in the face of all those disruptors. Um, I love the example of a fireman that I met in New York. His name was Michael Pusaferi. And Michael would always tell me that we, when he went to a fire and he would go into a burning building, he had to step out, get on his radio, become grounded and resilient, and speak to the thousands of firemen or the hundreds of firemen on his phone network around having to address the fire. And and I think this is a, an increasingly very important quality in our emotional roots is the ability to bounce back in the face of adversity. So let's talk about another one, social health. Yeah. Uh, what are the three roots of social health for a grounded leader? And how important is it for a leader to be authentic. First off, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the social arena. We are bumping together in our relationships and conversations and all this disruption and acceleration. And But relationships are everything that matters. So relationships are like social electricity and our emotions are contagious. And so we can either energize positively or de-energize people in the way that we interact with them. But we all know that teams are critical and working together in collaborative ways is more critical than ever before. And to make that more complicated, we're entering an age 
where human beings and digital machines are interacting like never before. And we're learning how do we recreate relationships with technology and people simultaneously. So we need leaders. And, and, and you put all that in the context that cynicism is at an all-time high and trust is at an all-time low. So the question is, how do we build sturdy, strong, authentic relationships? It starts with being authentic meaning real with a sense of integrity. People can smell whether people are not sincere and genuine. And we can't hide because we all live in a fishbowl. So being authentic is absolutely central to building a team or relationships. Then we have to build win-win relationships where people get what they want from each other. And that means on virtual teams as well as in face-to-face intact teams. And ultimately, a leader's job is to build a nourishing network or community that adds value to everyone. And so the whole notion of leading teams is a big shift from an obsession with individual development to recognizing that collective leadership is more important today than ever. I'm so interested in how you define spiritual leadership. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that definition and what the three roots of spiritual health are are for a grounded leader and why it's important. Well, in our interviews, we began to find, to observe, that the best leaders, first and foremost, were higher purpose people. They had a higher purpose in their life. It could be to teach, to learn, to give back to society, to create value, to delight a customer. It didn't really matter. They had a higher purpose. And we know from research that higher purpose people outperform non-higher purpose people. And we also know that higher purpose organizations outperform. So what you have right now in the government is you have a lot of people who have self-selected into the public sector because of their higher purpose. They want to give back to society or help to enrich the world. And they're questioning their purpose in organizations right now. And it's a really, it's a really, really challenging thing. So spiritual health is really about higher purpose. It's also about global connectedness. Do you feel that you are part of something bigger than yourself in the world? Because that really is at the heart of diversity. We've seen lots of issues in recent months about um, the whole diversity issue in our society. And we need to recognize that we are all living on one planet. We are all equal as human beings. We come from different places, and we can leverage those strengths and those differences to actually improve the world and to create products, services, solutions that are of more value to more people. So global connectedness is very important. And the last one is generosity of spirit. This is, do you have a sense of gratitude um, about your life and your work? Um, uh, Are you living with positive energy? Um, And so we find that those people who have a higher purpose, who are globally connected and have a generosity of spirit outperform as leaders. People want to work for them. And that's why it's so important. Sometimes it's about religion and your faith, and sometimes it's not. And it just depends on how you look at it. So, Bob, switching gears a bit, what do you mean uh, by paradoxical thinking? And why is cultivating an adaptive mindset so important to a grounded leader? Well, in a, in a complex world, 
you have to look at problems from all angles. And that is challenging for many of us who grew up in a time when we searched for linear solutions with black and white answers. But the world doesn't have black and white answers anymore. I like to use the adage as a chapter in our new book, and is the new or. We used to say you either win or lose, it's black or white, it's cold or hot. But in fact, it's all those things at once. And we need leaders who have that capacity to hold that paradox, those contradictions in their head at the same time. It enables them to thrive in complexity. Um, but it, being adaptive means that you can, first of all, to recognize that you, are, you, are, you operate with mental assumptions, you operate with biases. And the question is, to what extent are they influencing the way you see the world? the way you're solving problems, the way you're interacting with customers or employees. So this is all about intellectual health. I mean, and it's driven by complexity. And, you know, we want people who are deeply curious, highly adaptive, and able to thrive with paradoxical thinking. So, you know, would you briefly identify some examples of grounded leaders you've worked with and or recognize the processing of those characteristics in, in, you know, an application. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I've learned from all of them, which has helped me create some of these ideas. I'm not somebody who goes off and, you know, creates ideas and then comes back into the real world. I love talking to people. I coach CEOs. And so a lot of this stuff has come right from the real world experience. I'll give you a couple examples in the Washington, D.C. region. We're here doing this interview. And... Um, one of my favorite is Linda Rabbit. Linda is an entrepreneur. She runs Rand Corporation, and she started 30 years ago, I suspect, as a woman entrepreneur, and she got into the building contracting business. Back then, it was very unusual for a woman to be in that business. It was a very male-dominated business, and she's dealt with a lot of challenges in her life. Her fellow owner of the business left early on. She developed breast cancer. Her chief operating officer passed away in a tragic accident, and she's had this capacity to bounce back and to talk openly about who she is and what her strengths and weaknesses are in relationship to her employees and her customers. And it is now she she's maybe a $500 million company. She's doing fabulous. Another example is Ken Samet, who runs the largest healthcare organization in the region. Ken and I have worked together for 12 years and worked with MedStar Health. And um, he really has that special touch on social health. He's incredibly authentic. He understands how to listen to other people deeply. He builds great teams. He's very authentic in his relationships with his people. He interacts great with physicians. He understands that healthcare is primarily uh, a business of relationships and caring. And so he's built a very, very successful healthcare network. And the other thing that he's done is that he's used those relationships to move from a tertiary care, hospital-based business to one that is a distributed care healthcare delivery system where everywhere you go, there are hundreds of outpatient clinics around the region. So he spread the care across the age span and across geography. And he's used the power of relationships to make that happen. I love the story of General Eric Schumacher, who was the Surgeon General of the Army. And Eric had spent a lot of time bringing these roots 
into the Department of Army and to the soldiers around total fitness. And he really helped to deepen and sturdy the capabilities of the U.S. Army. And then my last example is somebody I've been working with for 13 years. His name is Mike Petters, and he runs a company, Huntington Ingalls, that produces the largest government line item, which is nuclear power aircraft carriers. Wow. $7 billion to make an aircraft carrier. He also makes, the company makes all of our nuclear-powered submarines. Mike understands the power of intellectual health. He is deeply curious. He's always reading The Economist. He is um, asking questions. He looks at problems from all angles. And he's a very strong, complex thinker. In a business, as you can imagine, that is very complex, building a nuclear power aircraft carrier. So those are four examples that touch on all of them. Does who you are drive what you do? We'll explore this question and so much more when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors, returns. What role does fire play in shaping natural resource land management? How does Interior's Office of Wildland Fire work to suppress wildland fire? What's being done to reduce the risks of first responders and the public? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Brian Rice, Director of the Office of Wildland Fire, U.S. Department of the Interior. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving leadership with Bob Rosen, author of Grounded, How Leaders Stay Rooted in an Uncertain World. Also joining me from IBM is Nicole Gartner. So, Bob, what goes into building a personal leadership model? Are there more effective ways to do that? And more importantly, is there an established process a person can engage in to develop such a model? Yeah, it's a great question. We come to our jobs as leaders, and when I talk about leaders, I'm talking about leaders at all levels of organizations, from the individual contributor and the frontline supervisor to the manager to the executives who are running the business. We come to the table with a set of values and principles, and the question is, are we aware of those values and principles that we bring? Um, what's our sort of mental model for what leaders do in our heads. Uh, secondly, we come to the table with a sense of purpose about what we're trying to accomplish. And then we also bring our life story, which is our genetics, because people are very different in neurological diversity. Some people are very, very reactive to stress and change, and other people are incredibly resilient and can deal in that kind of environment. And that's a neurological difference that we have. We also bring our upbringing, 
We bring our life experiences with bosses and other people, and then we bring our overall personality. So we're bringing a lot to the table when we become a leader. Now, there's a lot of science from management science and uh, psychological science that says that certain kinds of leaders do better than others. So the first thing you need to do is you need to know yourself. You need to know what kind of leader do you want to be and what are your foundations as a person. Secondly is you got to know what good practices what good leaders do. And they could be examples. It could be research. You may have grown up with a Boy Scout leader or, or a coach or your mother. And all of those are part of the way you think about leadership. And leadership changes over time. You know, in the last 30 years, we moved from a much more authoritative model of leadership to one that is intensely collaborative today. And so over history, we change our model because the world becomes more complex, people become smarter, and we need to mobilize more people around solving more complex problems. So I think the key is why do you need to change? What does it look like? How are you going to do it? And so what? What are the benefits for you and for other people? What does it mean to assert that who you are drives what you do? And why is viewing leadership from this perspective so different than the typical approaches to leadership we see today? Well, we grew up in a paradigm that said that what you do defines who you are. And we look at people in the way they present to each other their behavior. We teach competencies and skills in our leadership frameworks. And I think that is too superficial. It's not getting to the outcomes that we want. We need to flip the paradigm upside down and say that who you are as a human being drives what you do. The reality is that no matter how you act, people have an intuitive sense of who you are as a human being based on your values and your principles. So let's just change the paradigm. And that's really what Grounded is all about. It's about focusing on who you are first and foremost. You are somebody who is exhibiting or not exhibiting those six roots. Now, why is this important? Well, I come to the table with a philosophy, and it's, it's grounded in Buddhist philosophy that basically says we each come into the world with an innate wisdom innate humanity, an innate compassion, and innate intellectual wisdom. And over our life, we create moats of fear around ourselves because we get scared. And those basic fundamental goodness about people get sort of shackled or blinded. And so we lose our best self in the process of living in a complex world. And so my belief is that a lot of leadership development is rewiring the human mind from living a life in fear. And, you know, arrogance is, is caused by fear. Um, it's the fear of not being special, of not being recognized, um, to living a life of love. It's about making your mind more conscious when, in fact, 
83% of what goes on in our minds is unconscious, and 98% of all of our actions and beliefs and behaviors are driven by unconscious thoughts. So the more that you can make your unconscious mind conscious and aware, you're in more control of yourself in the world. I think thirdly is, and we'll talk about this probably a little later, is to move from being driven by your hijackers to being motivated by your accelerators. And then lastly, the result is that you come to the world with negative energy or positive energy as a result of being motivated by love, being conscious, and putting your foot on the accelerators. That's what's been missing in leadership development, is focusing on who we are as human beings. So fascinating. So in that context, and in the context of the dynamism of today, speed, you talked about complexity and uncertainty, why is grounded leadership the foundation to becoming a transformational leader? Well, if you think of what I just described, um, many of us are stuck with an old mind in a new world order with the disruptors. And so we have to really focus on being grounded and being conscious. I wrote grounded and in my mind, it's sort of the foundation for everything that we do, those six roots. But then you have to bring energy. You have to bring change. You have to bring adaptation to the foundation. And that's what being conscious is. And we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, so grounded and conscious are really the framework for team leadership, for change leadership, for growth leadership, for cultural leadership, for global leadership. We have to get the inside right before we can lead outside. Um, now, one of the nice things about the disruptors is, and I'm a big believer that you have to do inside out and outside in. Many leadership programs don't take into account how the world is changing. So we have to do both simultaneously, but inside out is so important. So, you know, uh, we'll touch on what uh, you, you bring up consciousness. And I want to get a sense of what is conscious leadership and how does it relate to Nicole's point about transformational leaders? I think about conscious leadership as, um, as being aware, being awake, being conscious of yourself, being aware of other people and being aware of the environment or the context in which we're operating and those disruptors. Um, but many of us are too shallow in our thinking about ourselves. We're not necessarily introspective and principled. We're too narrow in our perspective about the world. We don't understand the largest, con the larger context that we operate in. We're too safe and we don't take risks and we're too small. We're not bold and purposeful in our actions. And so in this new world order, we need leaders to go deep inside themselves. We need them to think big about possibilities. We need them to uh, get real about what they're good at and what they're not, what their hijackers are and what do they want to put their foot on the pedal for and to step up and be bold. And that's the kind of leaders that we need at every level of organizations. So I like the title, uh, the working title of this new book is called um, conscious is the new smart. Many of us grew up to believe that being the smartest kid in the room was the aspiration, was the goal. And I don't think that's right anymore. It's necessary, but it's not good enough. We have to be conscious. We have to be aware in order to thrive in this new disruptive and accelerating world. So what are the key components 
of conscious change? And how is consciousness an accelerator? And are, could you tell us a little more, elaborate on the tools for accelerating conscious change? How do we wake up? Well, first off, if we look at the if we look at a formula that says that the more conscious you are, the faster you adapt and the easier it is to be a change leader. And everyone needs to be a change leader at every level in organizations in this new environment. So we use a framework called accelerators and hijackers to understand the tools for becoming more conscious. Accelerators are things that you want to put your foot on the pedal and do more of. They're things like optimism, a sense of grit and persistence, confidence, focus, doing meaningful work, and having faith in yourself and faith that things will work out. Those are accelerators, and we can do more of them, strengthen them. However, many people walk around with hijackers. There are things that we've developed like emotional derailers, like our anxiety, our quickness to anger, our sadness when things don't go our way. Well, welcome. This is reality, and things don't always go our way. And so perfectionism is another one. The need to control, the desire to please other people all the time at the expense of yourself, burnout, and then one that a lot of leaders experience, which is their attachment to success. They're so obsessed with succeeding that they become preoccupied with achievement at the expense of themselves or other people. And that's why you get a lot of micromanagers, basically, who are have, haven't developed the right relationship with success. So those are accelerators and hijackers. Now, they occur at the individual level. They occur at the team level. So we basically look at, you know, what are the accelerators and hijackers on teams? And what are the accelerators and hijackers on organ- in organizations? Um, but it starts with the self. And those are tools that you can use to become more conscious. What does it mean to be a conscious leader? We'll explore these questions and so much more when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors, returns. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. What role does fire play in shaping natural resource land management? How does Interior's Office of Wildland Fire work to suppress wildland fire? 
what's being done to reduce the risks of first responders and the public. Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Brian Rice, director of the Office of Wildland Fire, U.S. Department of the Interior. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving leadership with Bob Rosen, author of Grounded, How Leaders Stay Rooted in an Uncertain World. Also joining me from IBM is Nicole Gartner. Bob, you have identified a handful of powerful lessons that help us become conscious in order to accelerate change inside ourselves and our organizations. Would you describe some of those lessons you've learned uh, from your work with some of the top leaders? Right. Well, I'm just finishing a round of interviews for this new book on conscious. And and as I mentioned, uh, the go deep, think big, get real, and step up. And so it's under those categories where the lessons occur. Um, uh, in, In go deep, um, it's critical that you discover your innate wisdom, um, which I talked about, and then to get comfortable being uncomfortable. It's also important that you assess where you are on these six routes. And we have a heat map that we use where you can assess on those 18 subroutes and and knowing that you're not going to do all of them right. I mean, I, I love the example of Steve Jobs who um, was probably the premier business leader in the, in the world. He invented or certainly refreshed seven industries. Um, yet he was fantastic at intellectual health. He was really, really good at vocational health. He could articulate the purpose and meaning of having an Apple product. Um, and, and he was really, really good at, um, uh, at spiritual health. He very much committed to um, meditating and the like, but he had bumpiness in his social relationships with partners and colleagues, and he uh, his emotions got out of hand uh, in the workplace, and eventually he ignored information that was critical to his physical health, and he died probably prematurely from pancreatic cancer. So we are all refreshing that, and that's all about going deep. Thinking big is really about getting up on the horizon and looking out. It's about developing a Google mind. And what I mean by that is um, that just like Google refreshes and reinvents itself, our mind has to do that consciously over and over again. I talked about be your own drone. Basically, get up and be a participative observer of yourself and your environment and know where the world is going and position yourself so you're prepared and ready to thrive in that new environment. Getting real is really about allowing yourself to morph into something new. And, and I like the, the, the framework of you have to see clearly, not with blurry eyes. Your perceptions have got to be accurate. Secondly is you have to think with an open mindset, not a closed mindset that's biased and prejudiced. Um, You have to feel with positive, not negative emotions, and you have to act constructively, not destructively. And being conscious is being aware of all four of those channels as you interact with the world. 
Um, and the, the leaders who are more conscious are those who are more effective. So those are some really important uh, tools that you just pointed out. Is there anything else that can help leaders today face some of their toughest challenges? Yeah, there are a couple. One is um, to always seek feedback, to create a feedback loop inside yourself and, and not be threatened by asking people how you're doing because ultimately that will continue to re refresh your self-awareness. Um, another thing is to create your own leadership story, which we talked about before. Third is that I think we need to double and triple up on our education and developmental experiences. The world's just changing way too fast for us to stay static. I think another one is to um, be self-compassionate and confident and resilient. And then the last one is a principle that I borrow from Buddhism but I love, which is the principle of committed detachment. Okay, it's very important to be committed to goals, but it's also very important to be detached from the outcomes. And people get tripped up when they set really hairy goals and they don't always get what they want in life and in business. And so you can be a great leader by being committed to your purpose and your goals, but become more detached from the outcomes because you don't control all the variables. And that's a really important psychological principle for being conscious and grounded as a human being. So what can we do with a growing talent gap between today's current leaders and the leaders we need today and into the future? Well, we've talked about the fact that the world is changing faster than our ability to adapt. And many of us are unprepared for the acceleration that's happening and will happen. And many of us are shackled by old ideas. We're too reactive. Um, we, we get hijacked by polarizing relationships as we see in society today. Um, many of us operate on autopilot. So the question is what to do. First off is that our government organizations and our private sector organizations have to spend a lot more time in succession planning. Um, there is a big gap between the leaders we have and the leaders we need. And secondly is that individuals have got to spend a lot more time in investing in their own development and their own education. Um, there are huge opportunities out there. But you've got to make a deep commitment to your own development and education. And so from an individual and an organizational standpoint, we've got to do both. And, uh, and I think that's really, really important. You see that in the federal government right now where there's a lot of people retiring. And the question is, who are the leaders that are coming in? How do we educate our Schedule C executives to be good government leaders? How do we prepare the next generation of managers to become executives in our government agencies who are globally literate, who can operate in the midst of change, who are self-aware, who are connective in their leadership? You know, connective leadership, you know, linking technology and people and building networks of the future is really the heart of where businesses going. And so I think it's a real challenge, but I think we can solve it if we make those commitments. That's a great segue into the next question, which is sort of before in the previous segment, I, you identified four individual leaders that you've worked with and they were in, uh, well, private sector. I'm wondering, do you have any anecdotes or stories about government leaders that you've worked with? And more importantly, 
And you kind of touched on it just now in your last response, but I'd like you to go a little deeper, if you would. Um, what makes the grounded leader so important for our civil servants, and what do you think the impact could be if they focused on these prescriptions? That's a really, really important question. You know, I go in and out of government agencies all the time giving speeches at um, the Security Exchange Commission, Department of Transportation. Uh, I'm doing one two weeks at the National Cancer Institute. Uh, I've done some work at DOD in the Department of Defense. And uh, in fact, years ago at the Department of Defense, uh, they had invited me into a blue ribbon panel where each of the services were looking at the early precursors of Grounded, which was the beginning wellness programs. Um, and each one of the services was addressing it in a different way. And you can see over the past 10 to 15, 20 years how the whole concept has evolved into a more holistic understanding of a soldier. I love the example. I just did a wonderful interview for this new book of uh, General Tammy Smith, who is um, – I think she's a two-star general in the Army. And she's now, I believe, in Seoul, South Korea. And she told me a wonderful story of um, how she joined the Army early on in the – I believe it was the 60s or 70s. And she was a woman and she was a very collaborative woman. And she didn't take on the attributes of what a male, tough hard-driving army sergeant was. And she had to learn how to um, hold on to herself, her core, in terms of who she was as a collaborative person. She, she spent a lot of time developing her leadership presence, but in a different way than some of her male comrades did. And most recently, which was really quite courageous, is that she came out as the highest-ranking general lesbian in, in the services. And she held on to who she was, all in the process of being a great general leader. And, and so to get to that question, um, uh, all the issues that are going on in business, all these disruptors, are happening in the public sector, in government. And it's requiring people, um, in order to thrive in the face of change, is to be more grounded, more rooted, not be overwhelmed by the, the stresses and strains that are occurring. I mean, if you look at government, there's a lot going on for government employees right now. Um, the, the, as we talked about earlier, the, the drain the swamp metaphor is – forcing a lot of government people to question their purpose in government because everybody wants to feel good about what they're doing. And so what is the role of government in society? Um, I think it has a very critical role and people need to feel good about service and they need to feel good about their higher purpose. There's a lot of pressure on performance and performance management. And so holding people accountable as leaders is really, really important. Having those courageous conversations uh, in performance management are key. And then thirdly is the whole issue of accelerating your development. And, uh, and, uh, to, and then to put things even more difficult is that government is slow to execute these days. And, and, and the contractors are putting pressure on government. And so there's a lot of stress 
and a lot of burnout. And uh, and I think the more grounded government employees can be, they're better able to withstand the stress and thrive in that in the in the changing environment. You know, what's the impact of 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 consciousness or a conscious leader? What, what what what's the impact of doing this? At least from my experience as a psychologist. Um, Conscious leaders are physically, mentally, and emotionally healthier than non-conscious people. Um, if you look at just physical health, um, people who aren't watching their diet, who are not exercising and not taking care of themselves are not really being conscious about what's good for them. And it's not good for their health and it's not good for how they show up at work. I also find that conscious people are happier and more fulfilled as people, they have more joy in their life. They feel more optimistic. Um, and there's a greater tolerance for distress, um, which is inevitable in life. We get up and we fall down and we get up and we fall down and that's just reality. Um, I also think that conscious people are able to reach their full potential uh, more readily. Uh, they envision possibilities. They are curious and adapt. And they're able to be focused and resourceful because they're more aware. And then lastly is that they're higher performing. They build better relationships. They execute faster. And they're freer to do the right thing because they have more access to their spiritual health. So, Bob, just for a moment, let's examine the other side of the coin. What happens? What's the downside of not pursuing this model? What happens if we just leave well enough alone and we don't follow your prescription or or take into account uh, what you're suggesting? Well, I think people fall further and further behind. And I think organizations fall further and further behind in their mission and their overall purpose. And the world is just changing too fast to not be grounded, to not be conscious. Um, so it does put increasing pressure on people to look inside themselves. Now, if you think about the last 25 years, probably starting with Stephen Covey and then Dan Goldman, there's been an evolution in society and, and, and the growth of therapy and coaching and the like, an evolution in society toward um, looking inside. And, and now I think it's becoming with meditation and other practices, it's becoming more commonplace for people to recognize, for me to be grounded in a world that is constantly changing, I've got to focus on myself. I've got to focus on my own development. So um, I think there are tremendous downsides if you don't do an inside-out um, approach to your leadership. And there are also downsides if you don't do an outside-in, if you don't look at the disruptors of our time. So uh, I think looking at yourself as a whole person and being aware of the disruptors is absolutely central to being a good leader. So, Bob, what prompted your interest in leadership in this kind of research? <laughs> and, you know, could you give us a sense of how your view of leadership has evolved? But more importantly, what kind of – how do you – how do you gain – uh, your insights. What kind of methods do you employ to to come up with your insights? I got a call out of the blue when I was 29 years old from the MacArthur Foundation who heard of a little monograph that I had written called Healthy Companies, a Human Resources Approach because I was working with the business, the health arm of the business roundtable at the time. And 
and I was very interested in the early wellness programs uh, and the EAP programs. But then my ideas sort of started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the MacArthur Foundation came in and they gave me a, a chunk of money to study healthy companies. And as I got into it, it became clear to me that if we don't create healthy, conscious, grounded leaders in organizations, our organizations will never be able to thrive in the long term. They just can't thrive profitably, sustainably, pursuing their purpose. And so I went on a sort of a, a ride um, to, to study and I've sat face to face now with 600 of these leaders around the world and they've taught me a lot. Uh, qualitative interviewing and quantitative surveys. Uh, I was involved, I think it was in 1993 or four, with the first, I believe it was the first big organizational engagement survey in the federal government through OPM, beginning to look at some of these issues inside the federal government. Um, now, the people who I worked with um, have long gone and retired, but um, I've watched the evolution of the great place to work and all of these sort of engagement um, initiatives go on in the federal government, and they're becoming more important than ever. So I'm really a student of leadership. And um, and then the other thing is that I coach uh, top executives, and and uh, I love still I love still love doing that, working with boards and executive teams and coaches because I mean and CEOs because they just give me a lot of raw insight about the challenges of leading in today's more disruptive world. So before we end, would you tell us a little bit about your background, yourself, uh, maybe your uh, credentials, but like, what's your favorite hobby? I love to exercise. I love to travel. I just got back from a trip to uh, Dubai and Bali and Indonesia. So traveling is, is key. Um, I'm married. I've been married for three years, um, but we've been together for 34, my husband and I. And so uh, I'm, I love my family life. That's very important to me. Um, and I love growing healthy companies. Um, it's been a wonderful experience doing that. Who are we as a company, healthy companies? Um, uh, well, we have one book now that is grounded, which has all the ideas that we talked about today. And then a new book coming out sometime next year. Um, uh, on the conscious material, uh, conscious is the new smart. Uh, we have our learning solutions, as I talked about, uh, that we want to get them inside public sector organizations so they can benefit from everything that we've learned. I mean, my I'm, I'm 61 years old, so I'm in my legacy phase in my career. And so I just want to touch as many people as possible with these ideas and help people just flourish and, and thrive in the new society. We've been primarily an executive consulting business, but in the last couple of years, we've gotten very excited about creating learning solutions. Because I've written seven books now, I mean, about leading people, leading teams, leading change, leading growth, leading globally, leading yourself. And we had all this IP, intellectual property, and, and so we've created workshops um, for people inside organizations at all levels of organizations, business and government and not-for-profits. Um, and then we certify internal people 
managers, OD people, human resource people, line leaders to facilitate those workshops. And we bring leadership and participant guides uh, into that process and assessments and tools. And then we sell enterprise licenses. So we're able to take our research that we've done all those years into larger organizations. Um, and that's been a fun kind of entrepreneurial activity that's a little different for me now. And, uh, and it's been very exciting and it brings the grounded and conscious ideas because I, I really do believe that uh, the challenge is how do we transform leaders one person at a time around the world? Um, th- there's so much opportunity and so much goodwill that is lying dormant inside of people. And the more we um, focus on love rather than fear, the more we help people to gain one to two percentage points of being conscious over unconscious, uh, the more we help people focus on their accelerators and not their hijackers, um, the greater return on investment we're going to get from, from uh, in government, um, uh, making a greater contribution to society in business, which is creating uh, more value for customers and, and communities in which they operate in, and employees themselves. I mean, business has become much more enlightened. I mean, one of the big issues that happened in the last couple of weeks is uh, that CEOs stepped up and moved away from an obsession from maximizing shareholder value to really recognizing that they have a responsibility to a whole host of stakeholders. And I guess the last thing I would say in this topic is that um, the boundaries between not-for-profits and governments and businesses are coming down and that business can learn a lot from government. Government can learn a lot from not-for-profits. Not-for-profits can teach business about higher purpose um, and the like. And, and we're all organizations trying to figure out how to add value to society. It's been great to have you. I mean, uh, Nicole and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Bob. This is such a fascinating and important topic. Really appreciate you spending time with us today. My pleasure. How can folks get in touch with you, Bob? We have a website. It's uh, it's www.healthycompanies.com. And I have my own website, which is bobrosen.com. And I welcome any visitors. This has been a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, exploring ideas for improving leadership with Bob Rosen, author of Grounded, how leaders stay rooted in an uncertain world. My co-host today from IBM has been Nicole Gartner. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving the business of government. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology 
and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org.